This is Operation Red Pill. You know us, you love us, because we take you beyond conspiracy theories right to the heart of conspiracy itself. I'm Jason Spears with my co-host Christopher Dean. We're heating up. Join us as we go behind enemy lines to answer the tough questions facing the thinking believer as we discuss in this week's Intel Briefing. Tough questions. Why would a good God send people to hell? Are heaven and hell God's way of enacting some type of, you know, quote-unquote divine cruelty? Or is it his goodness that dictates an eternal separation between good and evil? We're going to talk about that and much more coming up right here on Operation Red Pill. Tough questions. Welcome back to another segment of Tough Questions, where we aim to provide answers to some of today's most challenging questions facing the thinking believer. But before we get into all of that, first things first, Christopher Dean. How you doing, bro? Not bad. How about yourself? Pretty good. All right. I'm looking for a job. Did you know that? Are you serious? Yeah. You know, things things of the current employer aren't going quite as well, so it has me, you know, put my feelers out there. You got like, what, 17, 18 years in? Not, not that many. Every time you tell this story, you add a year. I think I'm 15, 16, right? You're around like there. 20, 21 years in, right? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Dead you're, on. you're approaching the 25-year mark. <laughs> I'm almost retired. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying. What's up with this? Are you having a midlife crisis? Maybe, but it just has me looking around. Okay. And I was looking online the other day, and I found this one, and I was like, this looks like a job for me. Even Jason, he could follow me because we need a little controversy so let's talk some migrant policy what the hell are you doing it's i know it's dumb but this played in my head every time i tried to write the intro to the show are you quoting eminem <laughs> trying to i was sitting here going why why does this sound vaguely familiar who's got that i was like what what is that without me that's the song that you were quoting <laughs> Yeah, and I changed some of the words too. I don't That's, know if you if you recognize that. You know what, man? I am so done with you. <laughs> you you cannot take everything and make it a folk song. If this is gonna be your new job, do not put me down as a reference. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I need you to stick to podcast episodes <laughs> where we reveal the truth about conspiracies. No, I'm really not looking for a job even. <sighs> but I wrote hold on, this. Hold on. <laughs> I've got to re-update your profile in my head. Because I had you out there like with a little cardboard box. Will work for lyrics. <laughs> work for lyrics. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> no, but I wanted to talk about immigration in Martha's Vineyard. You know, that thing that happened a little while ago. Oh, yeah. Where they where they sent the immigrants up. Uh, who's that? Texas and Florida? The governors from Texas yeah. and Florida that they sent. Sent them up to Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. That was hilarious. But every time I went like, okay, you know, intro, talk about controversy. Every time I typed it, I heard the music playing. I was like, what is going on? So I just had to put it in the notes. Like, That's my crazy. Bad. I don't know what you've been sipping on throughout <laughs> the week. And I know you're a fan of Eminem. It was the only reason. Like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Fan is a very strong word. I appreciate some of his linguistic qualities as a lyricist. <laughs> Okay. That I just butchered, right? Completely. <laughs> yeah, completely <laughs> murdered this. All right? And not in a good way. Okay. I wouldn't quite as far as go to say I'm a fan. Not of a person that, that seems to be in line, not only with the, uh, the Illuminati, but is displaying occult symbolism even right there on his, uh, his, his um, 
I want to say Spotify picture, but I know it goes over to Apple Music and all of that, where he's got the devil horns and all of that. Oh, okay. I yeah, gotcha. Not really a fan. Just appreciate his ability to make lyrics <laughs> that have compounded meanings to them. Yeah, this this has compounded meanings. Yeah, but the meaning from this was that you should never attempt <laughs> writing lyrics again. That was the meaning we derived from that. That hurts. Well, you know what, Christopher? <laughs> it feels so empty without me. <laughs> But you just need to take clips of that song through the whole episode and just put them in there randomly. Like Kevin Hart's Get Fired. That's hilarious. All right, so Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, and immigration. What are your what are your thoughts? Like open borders or immigration as a whole, like what's what's your take on it? Well, I mean that's a that's a complicated question given that, you know. For my 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 family would probably be considered stolen property. So, uh, you know, immigration for us as a people group, <laughs> a very touchy subject. Right. Um, as a whole, kind of ignoring you know the whole easy to go down that that road of slavery and all that. But current current uh, current feelings today on on immigration as a modern day issue and thoughts, not just feelings your feelings. Touche. <laughs> Current thoughts on modern immigration policy. I am concerned with what I see this country doing with immigration. Okay. Um, immigration is beginning to become weaponized. And I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't have a problem with bringing people into the country. Mm-hmm. Um, what I don't like is that it's being done in a way that does not allow for proper assimilation into our culture and into our country. Okay. It's like immigration without um, the necessary length of assimilation normally leads to destabilization. Okay. And it's a way, it's being used as a weapon to destabilize our, our country. Mm-hmm. That's what I don't like. That's what's causing me concern. Okay. You know, having people from foreign cultures or other places come here, I don't really have an issue with that as a whole. But when they're not, when they're not being required to really assimilate into our culture where they're given certain protections where they can practice not only their culture, but they can practice their religion and by extension, the laws of that religion completely freely, even when they contradict our political laws is a, is an issue. And you're seeing this a lot in the Muslim communities. Okay. You know, where they have rules that they can do certain things to people who are not Muslim, who are not abiding by those set of standards. And I'm like, nah, I'm not cool with that. Okay. What is that? Noahide or Sharia law? I think it's Sharia law. Noahide law is different. Okay. Um, But Sharia law um, is really the thing that I'm putting a spotlight on right now. Okay. And I don't think that that's proper, especially if you're coming into a country that's got, that's got a cultural and political landscape that is different from the one you practice. Now I'm not necessarily, and you got to be careful here because now people are going to be wondering, were you saying that, they shouldn't be able to practice how they feel or not how they feel, but what they believe. Are we starting to put, you know, the brakes on that? What right. about you as a Christian? Aren't you trying to get people to practice what you feel and you believe? Mm-hmm. I can already hear the folk up in arms. Right. Right. And that's not necessarily what I'm saying. Okay. What I am saying is that we are not a Muslim culture in the United States. Okay. All right. We are a Anglo-Saxon slash African-American 
type ad mixture of, of different cultures like that. But for the whole, our, our laws are, are kind of built out of that framework, right? They're not built out of a Muslim framework. Mm-hmm. So we're not pack, practicing Sharia law. Okay. And if you want to take a trip across this great land with your wife, she should not be regulated, in my opinion, to Sharia law as you go through certain areas of this country. As though that country, or as though those parts of the country are Muslim. Make sense? Uh-huh. And I think the people that know, the people that are in charge of doing some of our immigration policy, they realize that. Okay. Therefore, it's, it's striking to me that the type of people that are being welcomed in in large masses. How do you mean? Well, we got Muslims. Okay. That are coming in and pretty large numbers. And if you look overseas, look at England, uh, you know, look at France, look at these places where they've actually come in in high numbers. It's a destabilized that culture. Okay. That makes sense. You know, that that's an issue for me. I don't have all the numbers in front of me to, to look at immigration uh, by statistics to be able to say, but I know that's one group where we've seemed to show an, ex- an exceptional amount of latitude right. in bringing in. If you're bringing in a group of people that are financially or economically oppressed Mm -hmm. and you're bringing them into an environment, lack of a better word, is economically um, flourishing in comparison without any training, without any education on that transition process, Mm -hmm. what are you opening yourself up for? Chaos. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying those people are are less uh, intelligent than we are or less capable, but in all areas of life, when you go from one stage to another, there's a way to do that properly so that you don't lose. Right. Like even if you're getting another job. Right. There's an orientation process. Right. Ours is just like we're going to teach you a few things, a few patriotic things, but we're not really teaching you how to properly transition into American culture. Okay. You know, that'll take a little bit longer than just the standard time to get a green card. Gotcha. So those are my thoughts. Why for you ask? Well, because it it had me thinking. I I can't remember what uh, podcast or or thing I was listening to, but they maybe it was actually DeSantis. I think I was looking at a couple things that DeSantis was saying, you know, in front of the newspapers. And he... DeSantis, the governor of Florida. Florida, right. The one that sent the... the, uh, the migrants up to is that that's not a um politically incorrect term is it migrants it's just accurate yes i i don't know i don't follow politically correct rhetoric okay i sit well outside that envelope. <laughs> well if i do it i want to do it intentionally i understand so i'm just not sure so the immigrants up to martha's vineyard and he mentioned a couple statistics <laughs> i'll say non-native personnel <laughs> <laughs> That's why they don't leave me in charge of this. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, the NNPs. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I got to change it because you got to be careful when you're talking about people that don't come from this land, giving them a label that starts with N. <laughs> That's been a slippery slope in the history of this country. Yeah, so. your racism. Uh, slipping out a little bit, out isn't out it? Bit. Yeah, my Archie Bunker's coming out. <laughs> Stifle it. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm starting to sound like a pit. <laughs> But no, so he was talking about statistics of, of crime rates and stuff from immigrants. And it, it was something that I hadn't considered. Okay. So I was just thinking about, I was like, yeah, they're really 
does need to be some type of process. Like we get this weird idea from the news that everything's so polarized that there's 50% of Americans that think that we should have completely open borders and no, you know, checks or anything. And everyone else thinks that we hate anyone that's not American. I like how it's everyone else and not another 50%. Why? Well, 50% of the people think this, then 50% have to think that. Right. You know, if we're polarizing. But, and, and the way you delivered it, which is very akin to how it's delivered in the news, mm-hmm. it's interesting the language shift, you know, news speak that we use. Right. To change the way that you think about it. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, everyone else thinks that if you're not American, we hate you. And even if you are American, but you look different than us, we hate you anyway. Right. Because you don't even know what the percentage of everyone else is unless you do the quick math in your head. Right. You can say everyone else and you're like, <laughs> 75%. Yeah. The rest of the population <laughs> really thinks we hate everybody else. That's funny. But there really is this, this middle ground that I think a lot of people are like, hey, there's a right way to do this. But it had me looking at actual statistics of crime rates in Texas. Do you know, have you heard any of them? I have not. So this is between June 1st, uh, 2011 and September 30th, uh, 2022. So it's a pretty big, like 11, 12 years, 11 years. Um, but it... It's a little bit staggering. I, I did not anticipate this. So it said that there was, uh, in this time period, 263,000 illegal aliens were charged with 442,000 criminal offenses, which in, included arrests for 820 homicides, 53,672 assault charges, 8,162 burglary charges, 53,687 drug charges, 856 kidnapping charges, 21,511 theft charges, 34,571 obstruction, obstructing police charges, 2,480 robbery charges, 5,600 sexual assault charges, 6,584 sexual offense charges, and 5,087 weapons charges. Gee whiz. Yeah, that's a lot. And I'm not saying that everyone that comes over the border and even people that come over the border incorrectly, like illegal aliens, are inclined to commit crimes like these. But like you said, you have a group of people that are untrained on the, the, the laws, the culture, the, um, the nuances of, of a different land with different people and different standards, and you're going to have chaos. And, I mean, I think the statistics prove it. Yeah, they are definitely troubling. It is, but it brings up some really good questions. Like? Like, why should we have an immigration policy at all? I think if you look at these statistics, we have good reason. You know, how do you maintain order and justice when, when mixing people groups are moving people from one land to another? Hmm. And do we have sound reasons for deporting those unwilling to naturalize? And for the same reasons, we have to ask, why would a good God send people to hell? So I know it seems like a little bit of a jump from the the border in America to heaven and hell. Oh, you think? Because <laughs> I'm sitting here going, how do we get from there to what we're supposed to be talking about? <laughs> well, if you think of, you know, the Bible often talks about the 
kingdom of heaven, right? Mm -hmm. And how things are going to be different. So we recognize that there's a different culture that we would be going into. Okay. So if there's a different culture, then how do you take these sinful people or just people in general and, and move them from the earth to a different culture Hmm. with you? How do you do it? You have to have some type of immigration policy and the people that don't want to go, like, what do you do with those? Do you deport them? You know, there's, it, it gets a lot more technical than just the tyranny of God sending people to a dark place. I was like, it's actually very akin to immigration policy. That's a fascinating perspective because I don't think that we would tend to view things that way. Right. You know, um, last month we were talking about the tendency that people have to enter into a conversation without looking at the platform that that conversation's built on, right? Mm -hmm. Not considering some of the more um, adjacent, connected, or peripheral issues, mm -hmm. which means you can't always have a discussion in isolation on a topic. Right. You have to realize the relationship of ideas to other ideas. And of course, you're not taught to do that in school. Almost everything about our education is compartmentalized. Right. Mm -hmm. So you adopt a compartmentalized way of thinking. So when you get into this conversation about why would a good God send people to hell, it presupposes some really important things that you, you can't skip past. And the way that the question is phrased is done in a way to evoke an emotional response. Right. Right. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of technical stuff that has to be considered in the question and then by extension in the topic, and then by extension to that, from that, the adjacent ideas. You okay. have to consider a lot of things. Right, there's a lot of moving parts in play. Right, like just you, this question. You did, you know, it's phenomenal the way you just said, okay, so if we're, it's an immigration policy and we're taking people that want to go, we still have to account for the bodies that don't want to go. Right. That's a logistics issue. Mm-hmm. And if you're wrapping up creation and bringing in a new creation, and they don't want to go with the new creation, then do they stay with the old one? Right. That doesn't even bring <laughs> into account, you know, moral rectification. Right. You know, and accountability. We, we got to talk about some of the things you did <laughs> right. during this time. I mean, we got to even out the score, so to speak. Uh-huh. Then we got justice that becomes an issue. Holiness becomes an issue. You know, Plato wrestled with that. How could a good God really forgive sin? Mm -hmm. It was like one of his biggest issues when it came to, to the idea of God. And that, that has messed me up for a while. Me too. And, and it's still messing you up. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not just the concept, but when I first heard it, I was like, here's this, this, uh, atheist, right? Cause mm -hmm. he was an atheist. How is it that an atheist better understands? I don't know if he was an atheist. Okay. Um, I, I always get, you know, Plato, Socrates, all, all confused. I don't know if you believed in the universal, uh, if you believed in a divine universe. Okay. See the unmoved mover guy? I'm not sure. I haven't heard that. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it's hard because so many of their philosophies are similar because right. they, they just come in a line, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, I want to say, even if I'm wrong, this is where my brain was. How does someone that doesn't believe in the God that I believe in have a better understanding on the difficulty of dealing with sin right. than I do? I was like, right. oh, I'm in trouble. That was my same takeaway. I was like, I don't know jack crap right. about what I think I know. <laughs> and that's humbling. Right? When somebody who doesn't 
adhere to what you believe in understands the inherent problems of what you believe in. <laughs> Not even saying that 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 it, it that it nullifies your belief. Right. Just it's following that logic all the way out. Mm-hmm. If you believe in A, B, and C, then by extension, you might have an issue with D, E, and F. Right. And I'm 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 messing around with W. You're like W. <laughs> Whose list goes down to W? Right. I thought there was three things. Right. You, you gave me six. We got we got down to F. But you messing around with W? Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out the universal problem with holiness. How does a holy God excuse sin? I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. But there are a majority. I don't, there are some atheists. I'll say it this way that don't carry that um, intellectual prowess when engaging in these types of conversations. Yeah, and and that's problematic. Because if you're going to start talking about God sending people to hell, you have to recognize the limits of our reality, Mm -hmm. right? Like immediately, if there's a hell, then that means that there's a dimensional difference or divide between the physical realm and the non-physical realm. Because there's no physical place that we go to. I've looked at Google Earth. I've checked out <laughs> Apple Maps. I know it wasn't the best when it started, but they've done a pretty good job in these updates. And, you know, Flint, Michigan may not be the best place, but it's not considered hell when you look at the map. Could be Antarctica because we're not allowed to go there. It, it really could be. <laughs> However, hell is, is, is universally known to be a bit warmer than the ambient temperature and the average temperature at Antarctica. So they must have a, no pun intended, hell of an AC unit. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Right? Going on to make make that the place. But there's no place on the planet that we have looked at where hell exists. Okay. Which means it it has to be in another dimension, right? Okay. Then that means that our personal dimension, um, you know, our physical dimension, which historically has three dimensions to it, you know, three um, spatial dimensions and then the time component, mm-hmm. which make up the four, that has to be subordinate to a larger, greater reality. Right. Which so is, we're, I was going to say, so we're just a digital projection of a larger reality. Right. Because I was going to say Scientific America actually released that article notating that our existence seems to be a, a holographic reality of a much larger existence. Which is crazy because we're mostly not here. Exactly. <laughs> which is just in and of itself is mind blowing. Right. And and then we, we see all of uh, this idea seems to be a bunch of malarkey, right? To the average person that's already sympathetic to a materialistic worldview that just recognizes physics as all there is. Okay. This seems to be this type of thing where we're going, yeah, whatever. But if you look at some of the things, some of the influential, I don't want to call them factors, but influential sources in our society, take the fringe part of science, right? Mm-hmm. You've got CERN right now trying to break into another dimension. Nobody's looking at CERN going, you guys are idiots. Right. We're going, what's on the other side? This is fascinating. This is cutting edge. <laughs> Keep you, going. Do you not believe in science? I mean, science says that there has to be something <laughs> on the other side. Right? Hey, they're, they're pushing for that. Mm-hmm. Then you look at our entertainment, and we're talking about quantum things. I mean, right now, one of the most significant sources of pop culture pop information is the marvel cinematic universe right yeah and they've moved from stage one which is the infinity saga into stage two which is dealing with the multiverse 
Okay. All right. And so now they're dealing with ideas like the quantum realm. Okay. We're paying millions of dollars to go see movies that are built on storylines about a quantum realm that none of us have any real tangible experience with, but we're not sitting there walking out, throwing our hands up like this is poppycock. Right. Quantum realms don't exist. <laughs> they don't believe in science. Right. None of us, we're, we're accepting it. Hook, line, sinker, right? Right. So if, if, if these areas seem to understand this reality that our physical realm is built up of more than what we see, mm-hmm. we should probably start taking then the advice of scripture a little more seriously when it talks about, yes, there is a much larger reality, right? Yes. But as soon as you get into that, you've got some really tough issues that you've got to immediately come to terms with. This is why we were dealing with the question last month of the afterlife, and we dealt with the structure of the soul. Right. Right? And we dealt with not just the structure of the soul. We really dealt with the structure of humanity. You know, we're a three-part being body, soul, and spirit. Mm-hmm. When, the body re- when the body stops, it's, um, what is that term? Breathing? No, it's biological processes. I don't, I don't have the exact term for that. But when the body ceases its biological processes, it shuts down. Dies? The body hasn't died yet. <laughs> it shuts down. That wasn't the, the word I was like. Okay, about. okay. I'm not sure what you're Yeah, what I'll you're move past that because I, I can't remember the term. My bad. I'm still trying to help you. I appreciate it. <laughs> this conversation is about to die. <laughs> so uh, when, when the body stops its biological processes, it slows down, and then finally it shuts down. Mm-hmm. And the, the soul is separated from the body. At that point, we have basically clinical death. So once you die, in that sense, the soul has to go somewhere, right? Yeah. All right. Again, that's a logistical issue because the body goes into the ground. That's considered the grave or, or, or you know, the tomb, the grave. But the soul, which is no longer resident in the body, has to go somewhere as, as well. And scripture taught that that is actually a place called Sheol. It's right. a holding tank uh, with... <laughs> I know it's kind of weird to describe it that way, right? Yeah, I just saw all these like liquefied people. <laughs> okay, maybe tank is the wrong word. A holding chamber. There you go. That's a little. Is better. that better? Yeah. So I don't want to make it like liquefied people, <laughs> but but touche. Uh, but it it is a a holding chamber for disembodied souls, human souls, um, and it may actually include more than just human souls. Okay. Because you're taught in scripture about the Rephaim. The ones who are dead that still are alive in the sense that they exist. And there's coming a time where they will be released back upon the face of the earth. Okay. And I believe the Rephaim were considered disembodied souls of giant Nephilim kings. Sounds right. Right. So, I mean, all those things have to have places to go. Right. You can step out of that and talk about something like an interdimensional beings like Bigfoot. Right. Sasquatch, you know, all, all these other types of things. Our 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 bounded reality is so much larger than what we're taught. Yes, it right? is. What is the light spectrum that we can see? Like point zero two of the visible light. Uh huh. Percent of 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 the whole spectrum, we can only see that much. Yeah, it's very very narrow. Yeah, visible light spectrum. When you looked across the entire electromagnetic spectrum. Right. Yeah, it, it's incredibly narrow. Um, and I'm saying all this because this has to be in the mind of the person that's getting into this conversation of why would a good God send people, send you know a person to hell. 
Right. Right. All of this reality has to be on before we can even start the discussion. Right. It's, it's a much bigger concept than a judge sending you through one door or another one. Right. And then you also have the moral issue of good and evil. Mm-hmm. You know, you just said it was a good God. How do we differentiate? Yeah, that's a good point. Right. These are two major issues. <laughs> the afterlife, or three of them, afterlife, our bounded reality and the nature of good and evil that all come <laughs> smack dab into focus when you're talking about this issue. You follow me? Uh-huh. So I want to hijack the conversation. No, no, that was a good point. I think that this is really important for people to understand and kind of get their minds trained into thinking, what is the larger construct of this conversational topic? Mm-hmm. So they can begin to stretch their mind to conceive of things that are slightly outside our, our conversational field of view. Okay. Because a savvy person who introduces a concept like that may already account for those things that are outside this, the field of view mm-hmm. and may not let the conversation go into those. Although they know whatever you decide on this topic immediately affects those things that are slightly out of view. Okay. That makes sense. Okay, cool. So you talked about good and evil and whether or not God is good, right? Mm-hmm. And this, this, I call this the the atheist incongruity. This sounds like a Big Bang title. <laughs> All right, but what's the atheist incongruity? It's the fact that there's the, so everyone knows there's a group of people, and this is bad, this is, uh, what, overgeneralization? All right. There are people that believe in nothing or say that they lack the belief in God, right? The right. atheist against God. And they have a plethora of reasons on why they're against God. And within this group, there's people on polar opposite sides. And it's, it's frustrating standing over here and having to argue completely opposite points. It seems so illogical. Like, I just want to step out of the room and let the atheist figure it out first. So they can have a consistent framework? Yeah. I got you. Because we did, what was the episode that we did a couple of months ago? Um, why does God allow so much evil in the world? Yeah. And then today we're doing, well, how can a good God send people to hell? Mm-hmm. Well, which, which is, it? I've literally sat down and I have atheist friends. So don't, don't, I'm not hating on all atheists. It's just conceptually. You do realize having a friend does not mean you're not hating on that group. I don't want to. Well, I just, we love using that. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I have. Whether you not, whether or not you have atheist friends, mm-hmm. you're not hating on atheists by making this point. Thank you. Okay. It's, I'm attacking the, the, the idea, the, the idea, the concept of it. Thank you. Yep. But I've been in arguments where they, you know, the normal one is how, you know, how could a good God send people to, to hell? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, might be the, the most popular view. You know, if he's really loving, how can he send you to years and years of torment or eternity of torment, you know, just cause you didn't know about him or something, right. you know? So he's this tyrant and he's overly judgmental and he's holding you to, to too high of a standard and heaven is too um, exclusive and, and all of that stuff. But then I've literally, with people that hold the same view of God's non-existent and they, it's not just that they believe for, for solid philosophical reasons that he doesn't exist and then they have these like uh, secondary or tertiary issues. Mm-hmm. It's these are the reasons that I don't believe in God, right? Like I don't believe in God because I don't think it's right to send people to hell. And this is essentially what it is. Like, even if you look at, um, uh, Darwin, he didn't, he didn't, 
Sub- subscribe to the belief in a God because he didn't like the concept that his family would get, would go someplace that he wouldn't be. Why are you laughing? Um, <laughs> I don't have atheist friends and I'm still about to hate on atheism. <laughs> uh, I'm laughing at the lunacy of the idea. Okay. Uh, there are things that you do that I don't necessarily endorse. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I don't, I might not think it's right. Okay. That, in no way invalidates whether I think you exist. Yeah. That's why I'm laughing. I don't believe in God because I don't like his position on something. That is an asinine perspective. Right. Right. But yeah. it's, it's so much more common. It doesn't justify his non-existence. Right. It's just, you don't like what he did. Uh huh. But if he doesn't exist, then how are you upset with what he supposedly did? Yeah. And it's this is so tautologist is so circular. It is. And that's the, that's the, what is it? The four horsemen of the apocalypse. So Richard uh, Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris. And I always forget the fourth guy. I can't remember the, the four horsemen of atheism is what it is. Not the apocalypse. Thanks. I was stuck because <laughs> I was like white horse, black horse, red horse, green horse. And you named some different people. Um, what's the wheelchair guy? Stephen Hawking. Any one of them? Or did you mention him? Um, Richard Dawkins. Right. I get those two confused. So, but Hawking's not in there? I didn't think so. Okay. Because he's, I don't want to say it like that, because he's really smart. But mm. these other popular atheists are just on atheism. Hawking was on science, and that was his main focus. Okay. But, like, I think uh, Richard Dawkins had, went around and did, like, an anti or reverse baptism tour. I'm like, right. if you don't think that any of this is real, why would it matter? Right. But as dumb as that issue is, you know, Dawkins said, I have no issue with the concept of God. I have an issue with the concept of God that is concerned, that has concerned himself with sin. So you, so you have one people on, or you have atheists that are using God's goodness or lack of goodness and his, his tyranny and his judgment for why you don't believe in him. Cause more than, the reality is we have sound reasons to believe in the existence of a God, but it's so much easier to reject his existence if you don't like who he is, which is why the character of God is attacked all the time, which is why we see that in the Marvel universe, which is what you were saying. Mm-hmm. You know, we see this all the time that the character of God gets attacked. It's not focused on whether or not he exists because that would be the end of the argument. It's do we like him? Do we like a God that sends people to hell? Well, no, so then he can't exist. Or the other side is that how could you forgive people who have done such bad things? And I'm like, come on, people. You can't, I, you, I can't be arguing both sides of this. You know what I mean? Right. So God is way too harsh because he sends you to hell, but he's way too loving. Because like I saw a meme that had this uh, Jesus and this little girl. And Jesus is like, oh, look, there's the person that murdered you and all your family. That is such an emotionally twisting tactic. It is, but it's this idea that some people don't deserve to go to heaven and how dare Jesus let them in. I'm like, come on, folks. You can't have it both ways. That he's a villain for sending people to hell and he's a villain for letting people go to heaven. Like, he just can't win for losing. All right, two points. Your four horsemen? Yes. The one that you were having trouble with uh, is Daniel Dennett. Okay, that's right. So it's Hitchens, Dawkins, Harris, and Dennett. Okay, I can never remember Dennett. Yeah, I had to look that up for a minute. I didn't have that on tap, so I don't want you to think <laughs> that I'm going to send you an invoice for that. Okay. Um, to your to your last point here, though, the emotionally manipulative tactic to sway a person's view on this, 
um, I, I was, I was um, getting ready to leave for work and TV was on and there was a, a commercial that was on for uh, the reelections that, that are uh, just about to, that have actually just happened. Okay. And one of the advertisements were actually built on the idea that we need to make sure that this person does not return to the Ohio Supreme Court because they endorse making a person have a, a, a birth and cannot have an abortion, even in the case of rape. And they cited this, this girl who was incredibly young that was raped and, and ended up conceiving a child and was forced to, to, to actually uh, bring it, bring it forth and give birth. Right. Okay. And I sat there just dumbfounded. Like that is such a sinister tactic. Mm-hmm. You're emotionally manipulating a person or they're not even really thinking about the, the core issue. They're thinking about their emotions on it. Right. Same thing that, that was being done here in this case where you take a person whose parent or whose family was murdered. And then you just point like, oh, look, there they are running free. Didn't have to give account at all for their responsibilities, uh, you know, their actions here on Earth. Isn't that wonderful that a loving God is that just and fair? <laughs> now get out there and play with them, too. Right. For eternity. For eternity. Yeah. And be best friends, even with your family's murder. Okay, I can see the problem. Mm-hmm. Step back though a few a few feet, right? Pump your brakes, check your peripherals. Okay, it's very hard to go to a god who was murdered by people and complain about people who murdered. <laughs> yeah, right. Because you could flip that whole thing from the Christian perspective, and Jesus could be looking at all of us, going, "You murdered me," especially the people who who physically were responsible for his torture. And gruesome execution. Yeah. And they still get an opportunity if they meet the criterion of belief in him to have sins forgiven. Now, none of us really want to take that full responsibility of looking at our own sins. It's easier to look at someone else's to paint the sin in an egregious fashion, Mm -hmm. which I do agree. There are different layers and levels of sin, right? Yep. Find the most egregious example and then twist it for an emotional argument. The only thing, the only problem is I'm guilty of that. Murdering people? No, twisting an argument. (laughs) Good good point. I I, I didn't set that up right. Uh, Touche. Have not murdered anyone today, okay? This is a good day. A little off my game. Um, no, you've checked me a couple times on the fact that I have complained about God, right? Mm-hmm. I've been like, he's he's way, way too hard. Like, I know I just don't measure up. I know he's mad at me for X, Y, and Z, right? Mm-hmm. Next day I'm coming to you. You're like, hey, how you doing? I'm a little down. <laughs> All right, why, why are you down? You know, I feel like God is asking me to forgive somebody. And I I, I hate talking to him about it. <laughs> And you're like, why? Because he's way too forgiving. Like, he forgives everything. Okay? And what they did pissed me off, and I don't think they should be forgiven just yet. They should suffer a bit. And yeah, you were okay. like, Jason. I said, uh-oh. Which one is it? Yesterday, you were pissed at God because he was way too harsh and wasn't going to let any of your sins go and had you over the fire. Today, he's way too forgiving. <laughs> we'll forgive everyone of everything. Doesn't work, bro. You got to pick. In fact, you don't even have to necessarily pick. You have to really find the truth. 
right. of where this stands and stand on that, not how you feel swayed from one end to the other. So I can't really turn my nose over the people that do this, atheists or, or not. Okay. Because I do the same thing. The problem is that, or, or at least the, the, the problem is that they don't have a Christopher Dean. <laughs> they don't have someone that's going to call out their BS and be like, yo, you, you, you can't do that. That is that is like almost the definition of a logical fallacy. Okay. Right? Yeah. And we got people doing this at nauseum. This is true. So we have to ask, what, like we're talking heaven and hell. What do we even mean? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What do we mean? You know what I mean? Jeez, I'm so good at this. Everyone needs a Christopher Dean in their life. Right. <laughs> I concur. Uh, but we say heaven and hell, and I think that our understanding is so myopic, myopic and simplistic. You know, like you were saying, we're just a, a digital projection of a larger reality. You know, the most that we can tangibly understand is the four out of six dimensions, and it, and within that, we can see far less of what's going on. It's kind of crazy. So, because science has its limitations, I think a good idea would be to go to the Bible to see what the Bible has to say about these different areas, right? To I would absolutely agree. To move past just a, a cursory understanding or Sunday school theology of the afterlife and, quote, heaven and hell. Right. So I uh, put together a few things here. So we know from the Bible that there is a kingdom, right, outside of our existence is what I'm specifically talking about. So there's a, a kingdom, there's a divine council and a place where they meet. There's a place where good and evil spirits are able to traverse somewhat freely. There are places above the earth, places below the earth. There's places, uh, or there is a place uh, where humans are waiting, like you were saying, Sheol, a mm -hmm. moment ago. Uh, part of it for righteous people, part of it for unrighteous people. Uh, there's places where spirits are bound awaiting judgment. So like in Tartarus, you know, the idea of Tartarus is that it's as is far below earth as earth is from heaven but then also places within the earth that spirits are bound. What? I'm just thinking conceptually, that is hard to imagine. It is. And then I thought, you know, you look at our stars. Uh-huh. I was trying to think what's above earth and what's below earth. Okay. Like I imagine most of our star, I know this isn't actually true, <laughs> but I imagine most of our stars are out in the horizontal plane of earth. Oh, and not under us? Yeah, they're, they're, or they're not really above us, you know what I mean? Right, right. They just happen to be looking out that way. Okay, that's funny. Because I'm like, if, if Alpha, just making up a, an example, if Alpha Centauri's above us, what's beneath us? That's interesting. And I don't see those at night. Right. So I don't even know the constellations. <laughs> but even if I knew them, Tartarus is going to be far belief that. I'm like, I don't even know what's underneath the earth. I, I haven't studied that part. <laughs> I just got some of the constellations in the upper part. The southern, oh, so much I don't know. I don't think that it means like cosmic geography. It, it doesn't, <laughs> but it's just where my mind went. You know what I mean? Right, to kind of put it, attach it to something. Yeah, and it also, for me, highlights the limit of our understanding on these things. Okay, that makes sense. Like, conceptually, the earth from heaven, are we talking about 4,700 fathoms? You know, is it 6,000 <laughs> leagues? Right. Are we talking 26 billion light years? Or is what? it just on the other side of this veil? You right. Know? Like, what is our, our spectrum? I don't even, you gotta give me a ruler first before you start telling me <laughs> stuff like, as far beneath heaven is as far below as Tartars. Like, ah, oh, I get it. That's a ways. 
Like that's the Alcatraz of the spirit world. You, you can't escape that. <laughs> that's funny. I'm sorry. That was a heck of a tangent. No, it, it's that good. is how my mind works. But it, it, it that's exactly why we're doing this is because we've got to step outside of that Sunday school idea of just you know a light place and a dark place or whatever. Right. So, like I was saying, there are spirits bound in Tartarus, but then also bound on Earth. And I don't technically know if that means like within the soil of the third rock from the sun or bound in a adjacent dimension with some type of terrestrial anchor. You know what I mean? I do. I remember uh, when I looked at the notes and saw you put that, my mind like firecracker shot out. Okay. And I was like, oh, that is so dope. That is such a great point. Because I started thinking about things scripture teaches. Mm -hmm. Like um, the fact that in Revelation, there are angels that are buried in the river Euphrates and that acts as a prison. Right. That are supposed to be released. I believe it's Enoch that records the fallen angels. Part of their judgment is that they were buried beneath the rocks of the earth. Okay. Which seems to imply that it's kind of in our still physical dimension. Right. Especially with that whole scapegoat thing of having to place the sins of Israel on the scapegoat and send it out to Azazel, who was the the chief leader uh-huh. of, of the fallen angels uh, who came on Mount Hermon to do this whole thing. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I just love this. Like, this is not stuff that you're going to hear in a church, Un- unfortunately. Like, yeah, very these, much so, unfortunately. These are the conversations that we need to be having. Right. This is always what frustrated me at church. I right. Mean, like, it didn't deal with some of the the larger things that I think we have to also account for. It just dealt with, you know, normally getting yourself together. Right. But not really understanding the reality of where you, you live and what's going on. Mm-hmm. So if these things can be in prison, I think you're you're right. It's probably also right in the soil. I mean, if the rocks are on top of those, those beans. Okay. I, I think so. Interesting. Um, so do you think like completely in this dimension or like shares partial, whatever, like maybe this dimension with an added layer, you know what I mean? That's possible. I don't fully understand. I, even the language to describe this is so limiting. Cause I was going to say, I don't understand the physical aspects of, of these dimensions, but anything outside of our dimension is non-physical. Non- exactly. <laughs> so I'm not even sure the proper language. I need to have somebody smarter than me come up with that. That's funny. So I know what to use. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'll tell you something that's even more fascinating. So there's this, I there's reports of areas where there are heightened levels of spiritual activity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially near volcanoes. They've reported a lot of paranormal activity happening with light beams and energy apparently coming out of supposedly dormant volcanoes, like blue beams. Okay. And apparently with that, spirits that are coming out. Interesting. You know, they've also, from what I've heard, there's reports of spirits coming out and spiritual activity increasing with volcanic eruption and lava flow. So some people are suggesting that that volcanoes and the lava act as some sort of, of prison barrier mechanism that prohibits certain spirits from transgressing into our reality. Interesting. So I don't know how it all works. Yeah. I don't know how Jesus could descend into, I could just see him like quicksand, bye-bye, as he goes down into the ground, uh-huh. right? And talks to the spirits that were in captivity. 
for three days. He preached to him. Right. Which is wild. You would figure after doing the most amazing thing ever in the history of creation, coming and sacrificing yourself, you could get a day off. He immediately goes down and says, <laughs> we brush this dirt off my shoulder for a minute. Y'all thought y'all had me. Y'all really didn't. You know, he hit that Bill Duke. You know, you not messed up, right? Yeah, that, that was the wrong move for you to play. That's funny. So, but he had to go somewhere. It was a dimension. Right. And it seemed to be associated with the earth. Three days he was there and then he came back up. Okay. So I yeah. think it's way more wild than, than what we could possibly imagine. Right. Definitely is not limited to just here. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Uh-huh. For sure. Then you got the whole idea, you know, places of eternal judgment. Yes. Which the Bible talks about. Which is what we would think of if we say hell, right? Yeah, and one of our problems is that our, our conceptual limitation is largely based off of our conceptual presupposition, which is influenced by the cultures that have influenced the United States, you know, Western thought. So a lot of it is Greco and Roman. Okay. And there begins to be overlap, and then we kind of interpret what we're reading from Scripture through that lens of a Greco-Roman understanding of reality. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't always correlate. That so we'll sense. talk about hell. And in the Bible, English translation, you'll see hell. In the actual translation, actual manuscripts, you'll see Gehenna. Right? Okay. That's different. Right. Then you have this whole idea of a lake of fire. That's also kind of hodgepodge together in our idea of hell. Right. And then on top of that, you got this idea that Satan's ruling hell and he's having a blast and torturing people. Right. That is nowhere near what scripture teaches about these things. Right. It's completely different. Right. Like the lake of fire is meant for the devil and his angels. It wasn't even meant for people. Right. And it exists. I think Dan Duvall was doing a talk on this. He talked about how the actual word in, it wasn't Aramaic. I want to say it was Greek. Um, it was Aeon, so it had to do with an age, but then it was, there's two words. One was Aeon, I forget the other one. But it had to do with an age, and then it also had to do with the fact that the age was eternal. So it was almost as eternal as the concept of Christ himself. Like this thing had no beginning and no end, hmm. was the idea. Okay. So this lake of fire exists as a, the way he described it was a, a cosmic dimensional prison that has no beginning and no end literally an infinity loop, which prevents its escape. Interesting. That actually flies in the face of, of something I was going to say a little bit later. Oh, That's well, interesting. At least we got that out the way then. No. <laughs> <laughs> but he said that, that this has to exist in its own separate dimension. Okay. That's what was mind boggling. Because I'm start adding all these things that we're learning. Uh-huh. And I'm like, it's not just as simple as you got one place. Right. Or two places. Right. You you really have to account for a lot more Mm -hmm. than that. Because there's also a place of peace. Exactly. But I would argue that the kingdom of heaven as we understand it now, and I might go into a little bit more detail when we get down to heaven specifically, that that's not the paradise or the place of peace that we talked about. Because Jesus himself says that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Okay. Right, I, I can get down. With and there that. is the cosmic war. How's that paradise or a place of peace if that if within that area you're having war? So we just we we say heaven, but we don't actually mean 
heaven. I, I think, what is it? New Jerusalem is the place that God is, or that Jesus is um, preparing for us or whatever. It says that he's going to go and prepare a place. Would, that, would you think that that's the New Jerusalem or you think New Jerusalem is like a reset? My, or, <laughs> my understanding would be, and I'm no expert on this at all. Okay. Um, I'm but, just asking. Right. My understanding would be that New Jerusalem is the the city that descends from the heavenly realm and is placed on the earth. We're getting to a lot of eschatological or eschatological <laughs> issues here. Okay. Um, but given the end times, Revelation talks about the whole creation being not just reset. This, this current version, mm-hmm. I hate to use that phrase, but our, our reality right now is wrapped up like a scroll and discarded, burnt up. And Just then, like Thanos said he was going to do an endgame. I know, right? Kind of dope. <laughs> I see what you're doing there. Um, and then a whole new creation is is instituted. Yes. Restoring everything back to what it, it was. And then out of that, there was a, 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 a city, a new Jerusalem that came out on the earth. Okay. And rested. Okay. And then Jesus fills that, that area. That so there, there's a lot, it's a lot broader concept than just diving right in and saying, well, that's heaven. I don't think that would be as accurate. Okay. That's fair. I, I was just curious because I don't even have a full concept. You know, when Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, where is that place? What is that place? Right. You know, when we use the, I get that. the blanket term heaven, but we're like, eh, what are we really talking about here? No, I, I get that. I think that's a, that's a fair question. Cause it's, it's so frustrating. It, w- it was like, and I don't know if this happened maybe in the, the great awakenings, you know, the 1700s, 1800s, when um, Christianity was suffering rapid expansion in, in America mm-hmm. that because there were so many people and not time to train them. I don't know if that's where this got lost. Like, I'm not really sure. Cause it seems like somebody taught a two year old, about <laughs> cosmic space dimensions in the afterlife, right? Mm-hmm. And then that two-year-old just grew up, didn't get any more information, and then starts teaching everyone, this is all there is. Right? It's it's frustrating. <laughs> I can't say that you're necessarily wrong. I just don't think it was that. I think it was pretty much that, but it was spread <laughs> out over uh, a longer time frame. Well, 1700s, 1800s is 200 years, right? Who taught you math? 1700s? Yeah. To 1800s? No, the 1700s and the 1800s. Okay, that would be 200 years. I thought you were saying 1700s to 1800s. And I was in, like, that, that's 100 years. No, that, that's a century. I meant both centuries. Oh, together? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be about 200 years. Okay, that's enough time. I mean, I don't think it literally happened that they taught a child. and, and then, Right. But that's but what it seems like. But progressive degradation of knowledge and information. Right. So uh, that's why I said that it's that, but it's not really that. It, the end process was that we lost a lot. Okay. A lot of our information was lost over that time period. And we get into like spiritual dark ages. Right. So the, uh, and at the same time, that gap that's created is filled more with Greco Roman mythology. And so we're more familiar with that perspective than we are the biblical accurate perspective. So that breeds additional confusion on the topic. 
And we still haven't even got to God's character as to why a good guy <laughs> would send people to hell. Right. We're just dealing with, with peripheral issues. Well, we have to know if we're going to judge his goodness in sending people somewhere, we have to know where he's sending them. No, we don't. He's just mean. Okay. <laughs> he comes up with these asinine rules. And then when you don't meet him like a tyrant, he just sends you to a bad place. And he seems to get off on just watching you get tortured. That seems to be the PR. Yeah. On it. And I'm like, so characterized. It is. So reduced. So overly simplistic and childish. It is. We we really, if we want to have a serious conversation, we've got to step outside of that. But I digress. Continue on. <laughs> now, so I wanted to make the point that I thought, but you just kind of threw a wrench in it like you typically do. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> so I actually was under the, the idea that heaven and hell were post, like, for post first creation. So like after creation, that the thing that we call heaven, the place that we go, the paradise that Jesus talked about, the place that he goes to prepare a place for us would be created after primary creation. And I thought the same thing held true to hell because my view was that, you know, after the six days of creation, he looked and he said, everything was good. Would he be saying that if he's also talking about a space specifically designed to separate people from his presence, like a, a place for the damned. Well, remember, that's not what it was designed for. Okay. You see, that's the, the Greco-Roman perspective. I gotcha. The biblical perspective is that this was designed for Satan and his angels. There's a holding chamber right now for them. And then they are cast into the lake of fire. Okay. I see what you're saying. All right. So there's two different things. The problem is, in our view Hell is the combination of those two things that are very distinct. Gotcha. And then you add a third component that hell is also the combination of where dead dead souls go. Right? Okay. Then jumble those up with a, with a Catholic view that gets more complicated. Like you got purgatory and other things. Yeah. Right? All and of this the- becomes our collective view of under this umbrella of of quote H E L L unquote. Gotcha. Right. So discern, dis- delving into and parsing that information so that we can discern the difference is very important. Right. And right. so when you're talking about hell, <laughs> that's a very large loaded term. Right. Could God have looked over a creation that was unaffected by sin at that point and said, it's all good? Yes. Does that mean that hell was already created? It could have been. I don't see why that would necessarily be a, a theological problem. Okay. If it wasn't cre- if it was created in anticipation and not just anticipation, but foreknowledge of what was going to happen. He still could have said that because it's still good that he takes care of everything. Right? No, that makes sense. However, I don't think death and sin was actually in in play at that point. But you also have to account for the fall of Lucifer. Right. Which he's going to need a place because he was cast out of heaven. So he had to have somewhere to go. Yeah. And you can make the argument while I'm here on this tangent. (laughs) You could make the argument that Lucifer was cast down from heaven and fell to earth. Now that he was immediately put in in prison or in hell. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. So if he came to earth 
I used to think that he fell, came to earth and that destroyed the dinosaurs. Oh, really? That was your thought? It the, was. Like he was the... The com- the asteroid that uh, everybody talk about? Uh-huh. I was like, no. If you get your behind kick from heaven, and heaven is as far above the earth as Tartarus is below, that's a lot of trans-dimensional velocity that you carry. <laughs> and then you hit this rock? Mm. Not only would that make a huge impact, I'd be pissed. Yeah. Whatever lived, I'm killing. <laughs> that's funny. I hadn't even thought about that. That was my idea. All right. Uh, but you have to you have to account for for all of that if you're talking about a six day, on the on the six day, or not the six day. Over the course of those six days, God keeps looking out and saying everything's good. Okay, it still doesn't mean that these things weren't necessarily in play or in place. That makes sense. Okay. So heaven, though, at least, and I wish, I wish there was a different way that we could approach it. It's almost like the, um, the terms for race. You know, black, white, yellow. Like it's it's so labor intensive to create or utilize the language to not fall into those mental traps. Yeah. It's frustrating. I I get what you're saying. So like you say heaven and people think heaven, but that's not really what we're talking about. Because there's a difference between like the heavenly kingdom and this place that Jesus says that he has to prepare for us. Mm -hmm. You know, so I thought it was interesting just conceptually that if if this place didn't exist or wasn't completed, needed prepared after Jesus' ascension, that all the things that w- the the biblical narrative and all the things that we hear actually take place absent of the future heaven that we think that we're going to end up going to. You know, it's like the smashing the two ideas together. Mm-hmm. So we have like creation, the celestial war, the fall. Uh, Genesis 6, the Nephilim, Tower of Babel, Jacob's Ladder, demonic possessions, miracles, witchcraft, Jesus's temptation, the cross, and ascension all would have taken place before the, the preparation of whatever this place is that we're going after we die. Or like the, the um, paradise or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's interesting because we like to put those two things, like the the heaven... I guess we'd have to deal with Paul's example of the third heaven. You're not going to get like a mental meltdown trying to decipher and discern. <laughs> well, just so that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to bring clarity. So which is why I'm going to Paul's example. Okay. So when the average person says heaven, they don't actually mean heaven. So Paul explained the third heaven. You, I can't remember what episode, but we got into this, that he had a near-death experience. Was it last month? It was, yeah. Okay, last yeah. Month of the afterlife. So, yeah, he had a near-death experience, and he was caught up to the third heaven. And just how just three heavens makes anyone that doesn't swim in these waters go, I'm done. I'm checking out. <laughs> I didn't understand one. Now, now y'all got three. I'm, I'm done. I want none of it. But no, it's relatively simple. It's just that the atmosphere would be the first heaven, Outer space where the stars are would be the second heaven. And then the third heaven is this, this greater reality, right? Where, where all the celestial beings and, and, and God and everyone kind of exists in that space. So I would say the ethereal realm that em- embodies the six additional dimensions of reality. Oh, that's good. I like that. Write that down. Yeah, because I just lost it. <laughs> the ethereal realm that encompasses all or the extra six dimensions of reality, right? Something like that. It was yeah. close. That's what heaven is. That'd be the third heaven. That would be the third heaven. Yeah. So that's what heaven actually is. But when people say heaven, they really mean this tiny space 
in within that reality in which God is prepared for those that love him and follow him. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Did, that, is that clear? I hope it's clear. Yeah, I would say that. And I think for others, it might just mean where God is. Okay. I think it, it made me laugh. It, it, the Africa mistake. Oh, like referring to Africa as a country yeah, with like, a whole bunch of states yeah, and not that, a continent with a whole bunch of countries? Right. Yeah, like, that oh, irritates me. I want to go to Africa. It's just that little place over there, you know, where the melanin-rich people live. Right. I'm like, no, there's multiple countries within the continent of Africa. Continent? You talk about Africa as a country. <laughs> but I think we have this, the, the same view of uh, heaven. I would agree. That's actually a great, a great model. Thanks. And within that speciality of the, the paradise that we want to go to, it's not just a, a random paradise, right? It's a place that God has created or that Jesus has created um, so that followers of him can experience a more holistic relationship with him, right? Like Paul says that we will, we will know just as we are known mm-hmm. because we have the dimensional divide now. So it's the idea of paradise is centered around the person of Christ. It's not just like, like the Greco-Roman ideas of it's just paradise for everyone. You know what I mean? Because if you were going to break it down, you and I have very, very different views of what paradise would be. <laughs> Extremely different. In fact, like I, polarizing I, different. I think I would say I could say with a fair amount of certainty that if you ended up in my paradise, it would be hell. It would be hell. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> Absolute hell. Uh, that's so funny. That is. <laughs> you know, we came to these guys because we saw the episode topic and it said, why would a good God send people to hell? And I've had that thought my whole life. And I turned to these men to find out what they had to say about to bring some clarity to the issue. And somehow we've ended up in this juxtaposed conversation of them inhabiting each other's version of heaven and hell. So not what I was expecting. <laughs> Now nah, we're getting there though. Yeah, we are. We are. But no, that just again shatters the idea that it's not just this ethereal idea of paradise for everyone. It's paradise centered around the person of Christ. Right. And it, I, I heard it one time said, uh, if Jesus wasn't going to be in heaven, would you still want to go? You know, I heard that question and I didn't like my answer. Because your answer was no, right? <laughs> if Jesus was in heaven, wasn't in heaven, mm-hmm, right? Would still I still want to go? go? Yeah. Okay. That was my answer. My answer was, yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Still definitely want to go. Why What? Why would I not? You know what the other place is like? <laughs> I, I definitely don't want to end up there. So I'll take heaven with no Jesus. Yeah. In my super elementary understanding, I had no <laughs> idea what I was agreeing to. Because the reality would be a quote unquote heaven without Jesus is not a heaven at all. It would be a hell. Right. But we miss that. We don't understand it. Right. And if if, you, if anybody just heard me say that, you know, with an audience this size, I know there are people that are going, what? Like, not only not saying they don't conceptually understand it, they don't agree. Okay. You know, like there's that doesn't make sense. And I get that. I get the apparent confusion. I think the idea rests in this. When you are the being in which all reality has its seat. And in you exist 
eternal perpetual beauty, rightness, correctness, balance, harmony. And you take that person out of reality. Think of the things that you are left with in that void. Unbalance, chaos. They're the source of life, so you're, le- you're left with death. They're the source of beauty, so you are left with, I don't know what the opposite of beauty is, ugliness. Right. I figure I need a stronger word than that. You know, if they are this the seal of perfection, you're left with a disastrous reality. I think in a very large sense that hell is the reality that results when God is removed from the center of, of existence or the world. I would, I would agree. And I think part of the inherent torture is not this, you know, putting not this um, Dante's idea of torturing people, putting them on stakes, the mutilation, all of that. Mm-hmm. I think the real torture is knowing you are cut off from the source of life and beauty and hope and everything good. And right. you are left with the reality of everything that exists in, it, in its absence. Right. It, it, it's similar. It reminds me for whatever reason that typically, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but typically you don't measure the darkness in a thing. You measure the amount of light, right? Okay. And if it's dark, it's because it lacks a certain amount of light. That's just what you're left with, the darkness. Right. Same thing is with heat. You don't measure the amount of cold that's in something. You measure the heat. And if there's, if it's absent of a certain amount of heat, you go, oh, well, this is really cold. Oh, well, that's a mind-blowing reality. Yeah. So this place of torture is not like you were saying that Greco-Roman idea of pegs and ideas of torture that we imagine right now. But like you said, beauty and life and all of the things that give our life enjoyment, you take all of those away and what you're left with is hell. And I I think uh, I get that idea from scripture. Okay. And it happens when Jesus is in the garden and it's this, this, this wonderful moment in scripture for me. Because it, it exemplifies a couple large ideas. You know, Jesus as, as a human being, also conversing with his father on some, some huge uh, high-order topics, right, uh-huh. that he's got clearance for. He's talking to his dad about avoiding this situation that's about to happen, right? Yeah. About the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. But if you read in another part of Scripture, he agreed to it at time primordial or time immemorial. Mm-hmm. Right. So he already knew the plan. I don't even know how you go to God and ask him, is there a different plan for the plan I agreed <laughs> to that? I know there's no other way out of. Right. Right. But that's his human side. Mm-hmm. Then he starts after this, this why he's in the middle of his prayer. He starts becoming so agitated with, with whatever's about to happen that he begins to sweat blood. I always thought it was about the physical, um, assault that he was about to endure being crucified. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Chuck Missler that pointed out. I don't think that's what his, his anxiousness was really about. I think the the reality was he was about to become sin for mankind. And that required a separation from God because God could have nothing to do with sin. So for the first time in his existence, he is going to have to experience existence without a connection to God. Right. And that bought him agony. If that's true, and that was just for, uh, just the thought of it was bringing him agony. Mm -hmm. What is it like when people sign up for that and say, I want nothing to do with you? 
that has to be the agony that people really feel on top of having to pay for your, your, your sin, so to speak. I think that's the real reality. You don't get the God that you don't want, but with that, you don't get the things he brings. Right. No, I think you're dead on. Which then I think challenges this idea of why would a good God send people to hell? Does he send or do you choose? And he obliges your free will choice. Yeah. I would say that. Because would it be would it be loving to to force people into heaven that don't want to be there? I don't think so. Especially if heaven is supposed to be centered around Jesus and a relationship and a, a, a more full understanding of him. If you don't like Jesus, you wouldn't want to be there. Right. And it, I, I heard it put... Um, like a, in regards to a, like an earthly relationship, right? Like if you pursue this girl over and over and every time she's like, no, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. I'm not interested. And you, you've, you've tried everything that you know within your power and they, she just doesn't want anything to do with you. Is it the loving thing to let her go and live a life without you? My teenage self would say no. <laughs> no, no. The loving thing is to help her understand the error in her ways. Well, she will learn <laughs> to love thou meest. The grown man in me. Uh, uh, I can't even say what I would say. Let let that let that um I don't want to call her her name. Let that woman be. Yeah. <laughs> that, that that would be the approach. Right, cuz cuz that's that's actual love. It's not love to try to force yourself upon someone. Mm-mm. But in that same respect, you're not going to get what I bring. Right you choose a life without me, then you're choosing to have life without all of the things that I bring to the table. Well, that's not fair. Hey, that'd be the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah. I don't know how it's not fair. Like he's literally giving you a choice. Mm-hmm. This is what we face in this, this whole question. And I, maybe this is a good time. Maybe not, but I want to also highlight the idea um, of justice, right? Yeah. I think just just the same as we misunderstand the geographic layout of cosmic reality. I like that phrase. <laughs> Thanks. But it, it we also misunderstand judgment. Okay, how so? Cuz just because there's this delineation of, you know, those that choose me get to go here and those that don't choose me get to go there and then that's all that's said about it. That's not accurate okay so the elaborate so the the whole this specific jesus centered uh paradigm sacrifice payment for sins is to fix the the death issue right so we talked about death last month and the death isn't just the ending of something but it's the separation yeah so hell is a place for eternal separation from God. You know, the Bible calls it the second death or whatever. And then the life or eternal life is really connection with God. Finally, I don't want to say that's all it is, but, but that's what salvation is about is being connected with God or being separated from God and everything that he brings, but there's still judgment and we're still held accountable for even our idle words. And I don't know what those are, but the Bible says, you know, even within the the kingdom of heaven or paradise, 
we, there will be an accounting for the things that we do and the things that we say. Mm-hmm. It's not just a, hey, Jesus, I love you, free pass to pearly gates and, and the banquet table. Like, there's still an accounting for behavior. So for anyone that's concerned that, like, I don't know how many people are actually concerned that Jesus is way too gracious and letting too many people into heaven. Uh, probably more than, than we might think. Because Maybe. If, if there weren't, that whole meme that you shared earlier, oh, look, there goes your family's killer, wouldn't resonate with people. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. But I think it probably resonates with a lot of people that want to say that's not fair. You can't let them go into heaven, which is a translation of you can't let them enjoy pleasure, but mm-hmm. they're supposed to be being punished for what they did. Yeah. Right? And, and right, it's, not right. A, it's not a... It's not an improper assessment. Right. Well, okay, let me take that back. It's it's not completely inaccurate. It is fairly understandable because it rests on an idea of actual truth. Right. Our actions are not without consequence, and we are responsible for our actions. Yes. And if you're claiming to be a good God, you have to be a just God, which means you have to address wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. God's probably on board the whole time going, yes, yes, correct, correct, keep going. (laughs) Well, then how can you allow this person's one of, let's say, 150 trillion different sins, Mm -hmm. right? How can you let that go unpunished and they get to get into heaven with a get-out-of-jail-free card and enjoy all the benefits thereof? That's not fair. Okay. And God would probably respond. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't want to suggest that I'm taking the words of the almighty <laughs> and saying what he would say, but given what I've seen in scripture, I think you might respond something like this. What you fail to understand here is the difference between fairness and justice. I never claim to be fair. I claim to be just fair is based on equity. Justice is based on an absolute moral right or wrong. I address sin. And you're right. That person is responsible for what they have done. And they have incurred a debt that must be paid. Unfortunately, it is a debt that they could never repay. Hence why you have to have eternity for people that reject my next offer. They're trying to work it off and it's going to take forever to work it off. (laughs) That's why it keeps going on. So how have the legal courts of heaven decided to deal with this? I gave a divine opportunity for people to apply for a perpetual credit on their account. What are you talking about, Adam? It's called <laughs> the propitiation of sins. Jesus Christ serves as the eternal credit. I literally charge your sin to him. And he reaches into the heavenly coffers and pays the price and recharges the credit to your account. So the debt is being dealt with. He's paying the price. I don't want him to pay the price. I want him, that murder, (laughs) to pay the price. It's not how it works. Because that murder of your family, since this is the the framework we're dealing with, Mm -hmm. that murder of your family was one of several sins that he's responsible for. But I don't deal with some sins you're responsible for and some sins we won't deal with. 
I have to deal with all of them, which means I must also turn to you, sweet child, (laughs) and say, what about your sins? Well, I didn't murder anybody's family. Fair enough. But we're not working on who did what. We're working on what did you do? Have you committed sins? No. Okay. I have a quick list of 10. Let's just see if any of these, (laughs) you know, spark any interest. Ever lied? No. Seven is where we don't we don't sin here. You ever lied? Complete the fifth. That is an American concept. Does not apply in this here kingdom. <laughs> you must tell thy the truthest. Okay, I've lied. All right, we'll mark that down. Ever stolen? It was an accident. So that's a yes. An admission. <laughs> Got you. Did you ever put any other God ahead of me? Yeah. Did you honor your father and mother? Sometimes. Mm. Did you ever covet something that somebody else had? Define covet. Mm-mm. It's a good, good <laughs> question. Did you ever really want that doll that sweet little Susie had? You know, the nice dark-skinned doll with the wonderful hair that got everything caught up in it. No, I didn't want a black doll, guy. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Did you ever want a doll? <laughs> yeah. Were you ever jealous? Yeah. You didn't go down the list. Yeah. That's only 10. Those are 10 short ones. There, there are other ones. Right. Right? She's got to be responsible for that, too. And suddenly, the I want him to pay is going to immediately be she has to pay as well. And she can't pay. Right. That's the amazement of the gift. The gift is that Jesus inserted himself into our dimension, into the timeline, and went through the legal proceedings in order to justify and qualify himself, justify is the wrong word, in order to qualify himself as a perpetual stand-in for humanity, right? On a cosmic scale, on a heavenly courtroom case, right? Mm -hmm. And stands in and says, I represent humanity now. I did everything according to the law in the book. Humanity as a whole is no longer necessarily guilty because humanity can claim my credit. Guilty is not the right word. Humanity is not without hope. Okay. And in a hopeless situation because they can now claim my credit that I have, have been um, authorized to grant. I like that. Right. This is the real issue. Mm -hmm. So when people stand up, you know, when it's your turn and they call, you know, before the bench, Case one nine to six six seven zero Spears. How do you plead? You pleading on your own court? Are you going to make the argument that the court sucks, <laughs> that the judge is not fair, or are you going are you going to look at the prosecutor who is hoping to God that you go that route because mm-hmm. he's already got your rap sheet, or are you looking? that the witness is supposed to testify you who happens to be the son of the judge who's listening to these accusations going, yeah, yeah. Spears is guilty, but um, Spears has a legal document that states all of his guilt is imputed to me. And in turn, all of my innocence is imputed to him. How say you judge? I'll allow it. Yeah. And he makes the, the legal transfer. Is it fair? No, not at all. Is it just? 
Absolutely. Because there is an actual acknowledgement of the sin and the violation and the resultant penalty that is required. And that is justified in the eternal sacrifice. That's why Jesus was wounded. That's why Jesus was tortured and mutilated. It was actually him becoming the price. He, he became sin for humanity. I know that's a concept that if you didn't grow up in church or you're not familiar necessarily with scripture, it, it doesn't really communicate. Mm-hmm. But I guess another way of envisioning this is that every bit of righteous action that was attributed to his account was able to be transferred to other accounts. And in turn, he took on every bit of debt that was incurred through the sin of humanity. And the only reason he could pay it is because he's eternally God. Right. No other being could satisfy that. I like that. I'm laughing internally because I really didn't envision we would have this much theology <laughs> in this, I didn't, this I didn't episode. Either. It's not in the notes. At all. I thought we would be able to have a very straightforward conversation. Yeah, cut and dry. And I, while you were talking, I was like... Jesus, how did you get into the middle of this conversation? This is not what we were supposed to be talking about. Yeah. We were really just dealing with the concept, the concept of could God send people to hell? It right. was good. How did we get on this? But this is the point. This is the core. Right. So when you stand up before God and you're like, Hey, which one do you claim? If you don't, if you, if you honestly, and this is why in secular arguments, atheistic arguments, where the concept of free will gets so attacked, this is why I have an issue with it. Because when it comes to salvation, you have to make a free will decision. And if we don't have free will, then we can't really qualify for salvation. No, that makes sense. Right? You can't really choose. So if we're going to get everybody to think you don't have anything as, as free will because you are an evolutionary creature and you are the byproduct, uh, your, your, your concept of quote unquote free will is a carryover from vestige religious ideologies. And really what you are is a, a, a cellular mutated being that has developed cognitive abilities of a sort that are based on instinct and not free will. Right. All you're doing is dancing to the tune of your DNA. Right. That's what they say. Mm-hmm. Well, then when it comes time to decide, do you want to appeal to the, the offer of the court? I don't have any free will in this. Not only do I not have free will in this, I even have free will in the things you're calling sin. This is all instinct. It's interesting that the same approach to dumb down people in these great United States, so they don't know how to navigate law and they end up carrying on more penalty than even they would need to is the same approach that the enemy takes to have people ignorant of divine law and justice. Right. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. You're not even trained to be smart enough to there's this dude. Gosh, I don't know his. I don't know his name. He's been all over TikTok, and it's been annoying me. Is it the guy you sent me about the the changing of Christianity? No, no, not that guy. Okay, uh, this is a different dude who's who's basically trying his. He's he's uh, representing himself in a legal case. I I think he he uh, I think the charge is that he used his vehicle and ran over some people in a demonstration maybe about a year or so ago. Okay, uh, I don't remember exactly where it was or the exact particulars, right? But I've been watching him defend himself in court. And it has been the most irritating, frustrating thing ever. Why is that? One, he's childish. And he's arguing with the judge over like childish, childish strategies. Okay. Judge, can I, can I be hurt? So I can't be hurt? 
Why can't I be hurt? Yeah, that's about all I can take. That right there? The that was it? Of the, yeah, that's it. I'm done. Yo, the judge, was, he was like, listen, um, can can you just let me go to the other courtroom? No. Are, are you waiving your right to be here in this court? Well, no, I'm not waiving my right. I said I didn't understand it in the first place. So you telling me that I'm waiving my right doesn't make any sense because I don't understand it. They went round and round over this. Mm-mm. Round and round. After his first point, I was like, throw his behind in jail. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, she, she went round and round with the dude and showed extreme amount of patience. But I watched him and he, he's trying to quote certain things and legal proceedings and cases. I was like, you don't really, under, I don't think you really understand how the legal system works in law. And you're making yourself look even worse. The charges were bad enough. You are not helping your case. Right. That's kind of what it's like with us. We're not taught how to think with divine jurisprudence. I like that. Right. Mm -hmm. We're not taught to really reason well and accurately. And then we're coming into a heavenly court system and pleading our own case. Not good. You should never represent yourself in court. Even as a lawyer? Even as a lawyer. Is that like a, a, a rule? It's a thing, yeah. Like, you're you're dumb. What is it? What's the saying? Anyone who thinks that they should represent themselves in court has um, has an ignorant client or a fool as a client. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I haven't heard that, but I yeah, like that. Even if you're a lawyer, like, just don't do it. That's not... Not, it's smart. not a good idea. Yeah. And that's what's happening. We, we stand up and we're trying to argue our case in front of a divine judge with powers that be that greatly exceed our own. Mm-hmm. And only tragedy can come about from this. Yeah. It'd be ugly to watch. It'd be kind of entertaining. <laughs> for you, I don't have the stomach for it. You don't? Well, not, I mean, if it's anything like the stupid... Uh, Court case you were talking mm. about. Yeah, I didn't really have a stomach for that either. You said you saw them all over the place. He kept coming up, but that wasn't mean I was watching every one. Oh, you didn't watch it every time? I think I watched a couple of them um, because they, the case kept progressing. So I could watch another one and be like, so where are we at now? <laughs> like, I don't think he's been, I don't think a decision has been made yet. Okay. I'm kind of waiting to see how does this play out. That's weird. But yeah, it, it's incredibly annoying. I bet. But yeah, this isn't just an intellectual or philosophical exercise either. I mean, we're we're doing a lot of that, stretching our, um, what would it be, our conceptual, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I just drew a blank. Stretching our conceptual boundaries? Capacity. Capacity. There we go. Mm. How come Thanks. my words help and your words don't? What do you mean? I come up with your words or words for you all the time. I don't know. One episode I was listening to. That's half to. my job on this show. What episode I was listening to, you were like Stephen Hawking. Oh, and I just kept saying Stephen Hawking. Yeah, no, that's not the right word. Okay. After, for the record. Is it anyone, Stephen Hawking? Anyone listening to this? <laughs> I'm fairly certain you were talking about the one who came up with this idea of 10 dimensional reality. Right? Uh-huh. That mirrors Nachmanides. Yeah. Some might call that string theory from a book written by Stephen Hawking. What I said was <laughs> there was a person that was doing research into our reality. And not, not the guy that wrote the book? Not not string theory. 
Yeah, it was the person that was doing research. Yeah. I never identified his string theory. <laughs> but for some reason, you latched on to Stephen Hawking and would not let it go. Because that's, that's the main mind that we have today that connects the 10-dimensional reality to Nachmanides, to uh, Genesis, and okay. that we actually live in a 10-dimensional reality, but in four dimensions of it. And for the record, again, it wasn't Stephen, Stephen Hawking. Hawking. Wait, is there an S on his name? Is it Hawkins or Hawking? I thought it was Hawking. Oh, well, we'll need a research assistant. <laughs> if anyone out there is smarter than us. There's a lot of people that feel qualify. Free. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's just like, so all of our listeners, go ahead and send us an email. <laughs> right. And just, just, just let us know what we were supposed to say here. Was it questions at ORP.com? You guys are dumb. <laughs> That's going to be it. Yeah. That's hilarious. ORP podcast. You know, Daniel Duvall, getting back to our, our point, Daniel Duvall said something that I thought was really interesting that bears on this topic. And he said that perfect love requires perfect justice. And perfect justice can tolerate perfect mercy. But when perfect mercy is denied, justice must reside. Hmm. Or not reside, preside. Interesting. That's what I thought. Real interesting take. Yeah. Because I think that's at the core here. You know, if you don't want God's offer, if you don't like life with God, if you don't like his ways, okay, you have an option. You don't have to deal with him. Right. Or anything that he carries. I like what C.S. Lewis said. What did he say? He said, uh, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. That's sobering. Yeah. Real sobering when you really think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, parents, you're, you're a parent. Um, I know your kid probably has not, your child has not quite gotten to this age yet. Um, but there are times where children act out in anger, frustration, rebellion, or whatever. Okay. And they hit you with the, I hate you. I wish I wasn't part of his family. Or they, they go as far as I wish I had never been born, right? Mm-hmm. How often does a parent grant them their request? <laughs> Most parents I know laugh at the idea of the outburst, right? Right. I don't need you. I can do it myself. You can't wipe your behind. <laughs> I do your laundry every day. I mean, every week. I can tell. Right. It looks like 270. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> Somebody's like, what's wrong with 270? Oh, man. Oh, streaks everywhere. <laughs> have have no wiping policy method that's effective at all. Do you think you can live your life without me? <laughs> yes. I don't even know what this podcast is about right now. I know, right? <laughs> you know, and they, they have their tantrum and they storm off. And you're like, oh, you really want to play this game? Let's try it. Let's try it tonight. Let's take everything that I've provided you and let's just strip it out and let you start providing for yourself. Mm -hmm. I could do that. X name the toys. It's fine. I don't need those no way. I'm going to take the bed. Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> well, I can sleep on the floor. Put a bookmark in that. We'll get to that. <laughs> Uh, these here clothes are gone. My clothes? Mm-hmm. Even, even my skivvies? Skivvies is gone, too. I paid for those. 
So now is, you, is this an actual scenario that's happened in your home? I had a bad experience. <laughs> it never went this far, but I still had a bad experience. Okay. Uh, so the skivvies is gone. That pretty much leaves you naked. Right. No, no toys, no bed. Fine. I can sleep in the floor. That's still my floor that I pay for. You gotta get you gotta get you a place that you pay for to go sleep in. Uh-huh. I pay for all of this. Where's the kid at? They outside running around butt naked with nothing, right? Right. Could they be mad at you? Probably. I mean, they, they probably are. Yeah. Right. But they said they didn't want nothing to do with you. Right. So you obliged. Don't want to be part of the family anymore. Did you really send them into the street, though? No, they went on their own. It's not the way they see it. My parents kicked me out. <laughs> Did the parent kick the child out? No. But that would be the charge against them. Right. And I think that's what God's facing here. I think this idea that he's sending people to hell, uh, especially out of a place of, of avarice and malice, is not an accurate assessment of the situation. The question is good. You know, I mean, the question's proper. Is mm-hmm. he a good God? Yeah, but then that requires something of him. Right. That's interesting. If he is good, he has to act upon things that aren't. Right? Is that is that the point that you're making? Or Yeah. Okay. He has to act, and there are probably going to be things that aren't popular that people don't agree with. But right. like we said at the beginning of the episode, there's a lot of things that have to be considered with that. It's yeah. not just I'm mad at you because you wouldn't obey me or listen to me. It's not like a parent throwing a tantrum towards a child. Right. Or We're, disciplining them out of frustration. That's that's not what we have going on here. No, it's justice. Absolutely. I like that. So we do have to tie this. The Ayala effect dictates that we got to tie this to something real. All right. You know, uh, something that matters and allows... Uh, uh, allows us to uh, encourage growth and in, in, uh, productivity, right? Not just ethereal ideologies and, and stuff. Okay. Because if, we, if we're not able to tie it to something that really matters, all any of our listeners are going to hear is this. That's not something you want to hear. Nope. I don't want people hearing that. I want them to be able to walk away with, okay, I get it. Right. You know, and I, we, we've probably tied a lot of this together to be, to begin with, you know, leading into this. Uh, but the, the question here is, you know, is heaven and hell God's way of enacting some sort of divine cruelty? Right. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think so. I don't think that's what we have going on at all. Um, or is it his goodness that dictates an eternal separation of good and evil? I think that's more so the issue. You know, we started we opened up this this episode talking about immigration, right? Mm-hmm. And if God is, is migrating a group of people from this, this sin stricken world that is under the curse of, of uh, death and decay, right? Mm-hmm. Into a realm that does not have any tolerance for, for sin. And is not under the curse of death and decay. There has to be some sort of a a process involved for people who want to go and for people who don't. Right. Right. That to me is not 
divine cruelty. But you do have to create a separation for good and evil. Mm -hmm. Right? That's a requirement, which then has some subsequent causative realities with it, right? Right. Such as this concept of of paradise and a concept of eternal separation. Right. And I think that's necessary because you can't bring people that are corrupted with sin into a sinless environment. It won't tolerate it. And they won't be able to tolerate it. It'll be too much holiness. So there has to be some sort of mechanisms in place for the person who wants to go and for the person who doesn't want to go. Right. Because they don't just cease to exist either. I actually think in a certain sense, it's a, it's a divine mercy. Okay. Because you're still allowed to, to, there's a place allotted for you to exist Mm -hmm. as opposed to you just being annihilated and no longer existing at all. That makes sense. But you kind of pick where you get to go. Absolutely. I think of it sometimes like a, like a perfect theme park in the afterlife, right? Okay. But it's other than the two coins that the ferryman put on your eyes, that's not enough to buy admission. Okay. It's such a terrible analogy. We're considering the fact quickly that we- <laughs> using Greco Roman <laughs> mythology to make a biblical point. As soon as I said that, I was like, oh, that's a bad idea. Yeah. But no, somebody bought tickets. All you got to do is accept the ticket, right? To get in this theme park. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to do that, though, there's probably just a county fair down the road with no cover charge. County fairs in Kansas are all right, but the truth is. You are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora, ladies and gentlemen. Respect that fact every second of every day. Out there beyond that fence, every living thing that crawls, flies, or squats in the mud wants to kill you and eat your eyes for jujubes. If you wish to survive, you need to cultivate a strong mental attitude. You got to obey the rules. Pandora rules. Now, this is so critical because there's an idea that the first casualty in any war is truth. Mm-hmm. Right? If you can control truth, you can control much of the war. Yeah. And so the battle is really for people's minds. It is. Understanding that and understanding the truth about how this life really works is so essential for developing a strong mental aptitude. And you have to have that in order to survive this environment that we're in. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's a constant war. We're constantly under attack. First, we're told that the idea of heaven and hell is preposterous that after you die, nothing happens, but just to cover all bases, we're also told that a God that would send people to hell is completely maniacal, let alone the God that will let people in heaven. He's never looked at as being completely giving and inviting. Right. It's just the ones that send you to the other place that you supposedly don't want to go. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we also tell people, I'll see you in hell. <laughs> so I'm not even sure if it's where we don't want to go. Right. Some people seem to, to relish the fact. It's going to be a perpetual line dance to all the wonderful songs that our parents wouldn't let us listen to. <laughs> Right. We have such these these twisted views. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, we're not really dealing with the the strong reality of not just what happens when you die, 
when you you leave this this dimensional reality, when your soul is separated from your body. But what happens after that is such a bigger issue. Right. You know, where you spend eternity is a bigger issue. It is. And it it's kind of the inverse of what Russell Crowe would say. You know, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. Where you want to spend eternity has ramifications on how you live this life. Oh, I like that. That's and I good. think this whole idea of not wanting to admit that there's anything after we die and then wanting to impute God for how he runs whatever doesn't exist after we die is so preposterous. It really is. And so childish, but it sets us up for so many issues. Mm-hmm. And getting a proper understanding of things is the number one thing that we have to do, which is why rule number one is educate yourself. Right? Yeah. Scripture tells us, 2 Peter 3, 9, that God doesn't always get what he wants, which means there's no way everybody else can get what they want. Right? Right. It says that God wishes that that none would perish, but that isn't a possibility. People actually perish. Right. They choose to. They do. That's why in John 14, 3, Jesus tells us that we aren't to be troubled. He's going to actually prepare a place for us, a place that's free of the, not just the the curse of sin and death per se, but that it's free of the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the very presence of sin. Just the absence of those three things creates a, a very beautiful place, right? Right. Scripture also warns us that we not in what is it Philippians two uh, ten? Uh, I think so. That we might be able to resist for a while, but in the end, every knee will actually bow. Right. Everybody will express with their mouth that Jesus is actually that Jesus is Lord, that He exists, and that He is who He claimed to be. And that's a terrifying thought. Why? If you don't know, like I don't know. I've got several friends that, that don't believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if this is in fact true, which I believe that it is, my heart breaks that if the, the only time that they kneel is in that moment when it's already too late, like the, the, just the intensity of that, you know what I mean? Is, mm. is not a place that I would want to be in. Raised in the church or whatever, you can kind of like, okay, everyone does this. It gets Christianese real quick. But the reality that at some point, every soul is going to come face to face with the creator and their knee is going to hit the ground. And it's either going to be because, <laughs> wow, where'd you go? <laughs> Far left. <laughs> That's what I thought. Well, my first, the first place I went was my knees. And I was like, man, the way my leg is set up. That's a rickety bow. <laughs> All right, Leonidas. That was the next place I went. That's where I really started laughing. I was like, so God's like bow. And he's like, I would. But being out here disobeying your rules all my life has created a stiff left leg for me. I find it a little difficult to bow the knee. Oh, that's funny. So God mm. takes the leg. <laughs> he just hit the ground. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hijack that with my whimsical imagination. No, no, it's fine. It's funny. No, but I've just thought like to be in that position was not a fun place. No, you're right. I remember Mm. reading in uh, a book that I've referenced before, um, Paradise Lost. Is Mm -hmm. that what it is? I think it's Paradise Lost. I haven't read it in a while. I haven't read it at all. I think you would like it. Um, 
they reference it in the unit, so I'm on board with trying to read it. Paradise Lost? Yeah. I think that's John Milton, though. That is John Milton. That's not the book I'm thinking of. It's called Thunder in Paradise. Okay. They didn't reference that in the unit, so I don't no, think I'll read it. No, I didn't think that <laughs> Thunder in Paradise would be a unit song. I mean, a unit reference. Um, but they, the, the author takes his time to develop the scene of what you're talking about. Okay. Where this is like right after, um, I don't need to get into all that. This is basically the, the, the judgment. And these souls have made it into heaven, what they think is heaven. Mm-hmm. It's actually just a, a vestibule. It's like a hallway. A vegetable? Vestibule. Yeah. You're going to be a vegetable after the end of this episode. <laughs> My bad. So it's, <clears throat> it's really just a, a, a hallway opening chamber. You're not even in really heaven, but it's so grand and so beautiful. They're like, wow. I can't believe I made it. Yo, Jesus is really dope. He's really letting me in. And they had lived a life where they were like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I don't really like Jesus. I don't, you know, I don't like his rules or no, that's stupid. They were stealing. They were doing all sorts of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And they get there and they see Jesus. And one of them is just so overfilled with gratitude that he like runs up. And I think hugs Jesus. I was like, I can't believe you let me in. It's, I really didn't think I would make it. I know I've lived a crazy life, but I just can't believe you're so gracious and, and so loving that you would let me in. And okay. Jesus like looks at him and this, this tear wells up and he begins to cry. And the guy thinks he's crying because he's like so happy to see him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I wished you had chosen me in this life, but you said that you wanted nothing to do with me. And it is to that, that I grant you your request. Dang. And his knee had already hit the ground, right? Mm-hmm. But it was a reality of, oh no, 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 no. I know that sounds like a TikTok moment, <laughs> but it was like, oh man. And there was nothing you could do to undo that. Right. Like the reality was so real. And it wasn't like, I'm just sending you there. Get away from me because I don't like you. Or I'm angry with you. Although there is such thing as divine wrath that has to be satisfied. It wasn't like that wasn't the point. The point was you chose. Yeah. That's sobering. Right? Like if you're married and and your spouse chooses to walk out on you. That's not, but claims that you kicked him out. Right. Yo, this is so not it. You chose to end this. You chose to 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 throw away what we had and what we could have had. You didn't want to stay. So you get what you chose. Mm-hmm. That is a an incredibly sobering thought. And I like you, I've got friends that aren't that that don't profess allegiance to Christ. Mm-hmm. Some don't believe he exists. Others think he's a decent person, but don't really want to commit to the way of life. You know, you got people that kind of run the gamut, but I try to remember the reality of what we're talking about. Not just that for the ones that annoy me, I'm like, Oh, you'll bow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I ain't even worried about that, but that's not really a proper heart attitude on my, on right. my, my part. Um, <laughs> the reality that there comes a moment that you can't retract is very sober. Yeah. And it's like, you really want to make sure you've made the right choice. It's not even to escape this idea of hell. It's not so I can escape perpetual torture or mutilation. 
it's really the question that we asked um, near the beginning of this episode. Would you want to go to a heaven where Jesus wasn't present? Mm -hmm. And the, the answer really should be no. I right. want to be where, where he is. That should be the concept even when we're talking about heaven and hell. Right. You know, do I really want to spend an eternity with Jesus in his ways? Or do I want to go about it my own way and take the ludicrous, ludicrous method? The ludicrous method? Move! Get out the way! <laughs> I'm doing things, you know, mixed with a little bit of Frank Sinatra. I'm doing things my way! I just went to Aleister Crowley. Oh, do as thou will? Yeah. <clears throat> that probably would have been better. <laughs> I mean, hey, I bet way. there's a bunch of listeners that really resonated with what you just said. The ludicrous way? Yeah, I just wasn't one of those people. That's all right. I felt that <laughs> way with the Eminem hack that you did earlier. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Scripture also tells us that we've all fallen short. So we're not any better, and we're not claiming to be any better than our atheist friends. But we just we recognize that we all need the 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 grace and our sin to be paid for. It reminds me a little bit, uh, at least the the denial of of our sinful state. Um, reminds me a little bit. Have you? I don't think you've seen the movie Serenity. Have you? No. Really good. Nathan Fillion plays the protagonist, and then the the main villain is uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. His name always makes me laugh. Yeah. I'm getting better at saying it without completely stumbling over myself. It's funny. You just, you went through that so well. I was like, maybe <laughs> his name is not that difficult. And I'm just, I'm, I'm no, it is linguistically cause, cause in my brain. It's like pump the brakes. You don't know. Is this the right way to say, Oh, here comes. That's his name. All right. We're just going with it. <laughs> That's how I feel every time I got to say it. Right. <laughs> um, but he plays the villain. It's the first movie I saw him in. And he's working for this governmental agency to try to bring about paradise. And then he has this conversation with Nathan Fillion, Fillion, however you pronounce his name. I can't get anybody's name right. Okay. But he's like, uh, Nathan is like, look, you, there is no place for you in this paradise. And he's like, I know. He's like, I'm a monster. Cause he like admits to killing children and stuff. Like he's just a ruthless villain. Excellent. He plays such a, uh, an excellent villain in this movie. But he's like, I know there's no place for me in that. I'm a monster. And I was kind of taken aback. Like, there's not many people that are like, oh, yeah. I, I know I'm not deserving to be in this position of paradise. Mm. And it was kind of, it, oddly enough, it was a little bit refreshing. Because the truth is none of us are worthy inherently within ourselves and deserving of paradise. See, and that's the reason why that, that meme earlier bothers me because it redirects the attention right off of that reality the yeah yeah you know where the, the nobody's dealing with the girl's unworthiness they're focusing on the perpetrator's unworthiness right and that's an that's a a uh an inaccurate perspective of the whole situation at best it's 50 percent, and that's not even a full 50 percent Right. So there's a lot that's left on the table there. Yeah. That's why it bothered me. And, and strategically done that way, because you're absolutely right. All of us have fallen short. Yeah, we've all fallen short. But the beauty of it is that uh, Paul tells us in Romans 8 that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. 
So we get, it's almost a paradox, right? Mm-hmm. That, that we're unworthy, but then is, if we're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation, which is a, uh, a cool breeze, a breath of fresh air. You know what I mean? It's the other side of that, that coin. Right. And John 1.12 tells us that, that all that receive Jesus, which requires repentance, but all that receive Jesus, he gives us the power to become sons of God. And this term sons of God means things that are crafted by the hand of God, like firsthand creation, right? Like angels could be considered sons of God. Adam would have been considered a son of God because he was created from the hand of God. We get that. I got you. Like we're, he, because of our sin nature and our tendency to do things wrong, he doesn't just pay the price for that, but he also makes the correction. So he, right. he, he helps naturalize us to the divine um, sovereign nation, right? I'm so glad you put it that way. Because as we've been talking about the afterlife uh-huh. last month and then dealing with this, one of the, the aspects that I've left off is the necessity of death. Okay. Because we're, degre- because we're corrupted and our beings have, have been degraded to the level that they have, we can't even sustain being in the presence of a being that powerful. Right. Right. Like if mm-hmm. you just wanted to go natural self right now, go give God a hug. You couldn't. Right. Your body would. I don't even know what the proper sound is. <laughs> that, was, that was close. Right. I, I feel like there'd be a sizzle. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Something. <laughs> That's you, funny. I don't want to make it sound like a moth hitting one of those lights. Mm hmm. I don't sound like God like that, but you got to imagine this is the most powerful being in the, in existence, right? This is, this is the big wig. This is H N I C of the H D I C. Yeah. I'd be the H N I C. He's H D I C. All right. That's what it says on his desk. Uh-huh. And his, his being emanates energy that our beings are not able to sustain being around right now. Because we're in a fallen state. Mm -hmm. We were designed initially to be that way. Right. Right. But now our corruption has been written into our physical bodies, right into our DNA. Twisted it. It's twisted. Yeah. Which is why I believe even down to our DNA, why our DNA has that serpentine pattern to it. Because we've been so corrupted by the snake. We've been so corrupted by Satan that even our bodies have become twisted down to our DNA. And that has to be undone. Now, what's interesting is scripture recognizes that. That is why you get a new body. Right. Which I find amazing. Yeah. Right? Like all this stuff is accounted for. You get that body that is no longer running the satanic coding of sin and corruption. Right. And you now have pure coding going through you again. That's nuts to think about. Especially in that manner. Right. So that you are capable of experiencing full dimensional reality on all 10 levels. Right. And you can now interact and experience God, not in a, not in a ideological, ethereal type of interaction, but a real tangible interaction. Like you, if you imagine, we talked about the light spectrum earlier. That mm-hmm. based off of our physical makeup, we can only perceive like 0.02, 0.01% of the spectrum of light that we know that we live in. 
Right. So imagine if, if so much more of us is limited to that, like our ability to experience pleasure that we're really only relegated to 0.02% of what God has intended for the pleasure spectrum. You're not holding. (laughs) I need to contemplate this extreme pleasure that I'm missing out on. Yeah. Yeah. That you need a new body to be able to properly experience pleasure the way it was designed. Unfortunately, there's no sex in heaven. I feel like that's a a double entente there. Mm. Okay, we'll save that one. I can already see that being (laughs) different episode. episode. Right. Full pleasure, but no sex. (laughs) But no, I I heard it said, I don't know who said this, but it, it, I really like uh, the, the sum up of the gospel message. But it says that the gospel message is not about making bad people good. It's about making dead people alive. I promise. I think that's Ravi Zacharias. You think that's Ravi? Yeah. It could be. I think at least that's where I remember hearing it. Yeah. But that's dope. Yeah. Like that's a whole different way to look at it. Right. So for people that are like, I don't need God or I don't need religion. I'm already a good person. Well, that's not what it's about. Now it it's supposed to be a a um, secondary attribute, you know that that's supposed to come because of it, but that's not what it's about. Exactly. And that's a heavy thought. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. To really contemplate that, because we start out talking about you know. Dancing on the idea of God being good, but really suggesting that he's not. Mm -hmm. And then you get to this point of, I'm not even about making bad people good. Like that doesn't even cut it. I'm about making dead people alive. Like you're in such a, you're in so, I don't know the proper way to say this. You're in so much more of a worse position than you could imagine than just being good or bad. Yeah. The, the the situation is way worse than that. <laughs> right. Right. I'm about trying to make you alive because you're you're dead. Mm-hmm. You have no option about being good or bad. You're just dead. And if I cannot connect you back to the source of life across all 10 dimensions, you have no hope whatsoever. Right. That is a sobering thought. Now, all of that said, that's just rule one. <laughs> we still got two other rules, right? Yeah, we do. You we know, do. rule two is do not cede any ground to your enemy. That's a harder rule to to follow mm-hmm. because it it immediately suggests that you've got rule number one down. You're not ceding mental ground to your enemy, right? And with that, you're not you're not ceding spiritual ground. You've got a good understanding of scripture so that you understand truth. And you're not trying to filter reality through broken filters that rest on secular interpretations of reality based on non-Christian religions. Mm-hmm. Right? It's all important. Yeah. So the best way to not cede any ground is to adhere to and make use of the biblical counterfeits of strike package. All right. Now, I love that, man. I've been playing Call of Duty here with you for <laughs> for for a couple of weeks. Uh, I converted him. Yeah, yeah, you did. You did. You uh seduced me with the whims of of, of blowing people up on a mobile platform. And I have been addicted ever since, right? 
You kind of have, yeah. Right, and so the, you can call in these 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 uh, strike packages. You can. I forget what it's called. What are the three things that you can call them? What are those? Score streaks. Yeah, yeah. You can you can get those. And my favorite one is when you call in the rain. Call in the what? The rain. They bring okay. the rain. Yeah. And they they set up like these three missiles, these uh, artillery strikes. And yep. right in the enemy's area, you you carpet bomb that whole area, and people go kaboom. I love it. It's, it's great. I, I love using that one, right? But it's very similar to this biblical counteroffensive strike package, right? There are three things that that we have to be aware of, and this is part of what allows us not to cede any ground to the enemy. You got to expose what's going on. You got to oppose it, and then you got to depose it. All right, you got to shine a light on it. You got to resist it, and then you got to start tearing it down where you can Mm-hmm. That's how we 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 counteract what the enemy's doing, and the best way to do that is with Scripture. You know, Ephesians five eleven tells us, "Don't have any fellowships with the work of darkness." You got to expose those things. You have to expose corrupt thinking. You have to expose Luciferian thought, even in its subtlety, like the type of thinking that suggests God isn't good because He quote unquote sends people to hell, which attacks His character. Right. You have to oppose that idea. I mean, we get that from James 5, 7, which means you got to subject yourself to the authority of Scripture and then use that authority to resist the devil. That coincides with rule number one. That's actually getting what Scripture says buried into your mind so that you know how to, to engage the lies that, that were told. And then according to 2 Corinthians 10, 5, you got to engage and destroy every argument and pretension that sets itself self up against Scripture. And keeps people from knowing the truth. That's one of my favorites. I like that one too. Because that's the one that's almost like your marching order. Right. That's what gives you the authorization to use deadly force. Against ideas. Against ideas, not people. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You know, and that that's critically important. It is. That takes us to rule number three. Where we got to pray like it's all up to God, but work like it's all up to us. I always like that one. Yeah, it's dead on. Uh, for prayer, I think one of the things that we could pray for is that God meet you where you're at? Like if if we've piqued your curiosity about this concept of God and justice, he's an actual person. It's not just an old book. I mean, it is an old book. That's part of it. But the actual person of God is real, and he's able to meet you where where you are at. So I, th- I think asking for that is is an acceptable prayer. Like, are you real? You know, things like that. Like, it's... It's there's not a hocus pocus uh, incantation or something to say to to summon God into your room, mm-hmm. but I think effort into reconnecting with the one we got disconnected from is a good idea. I agree. I think we also need to pray that we have courage to talk to others about this idea of perfect justice, and the only way it can actually be um, obtained is through Jesus Christ. And, and that's how we end up on the right side of ultimate justice. Because there's going to be justice one way or the other. We, we just want to make sure we're on the right side of it. And it takes courage because all the movies, all the schools, science, everywhere you look tells us that we're stupid. Right? It is such a concerted and focused effort to convince the follower of Christ that he's a fool. Yeah. But you have no real reason to believe what you're believing, and you have no right to try to convince others of it. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Especially if you take a step back and look, and like we were talking about, like the arguments that would 
conflict even within their their camp. Like we're fools because that we believe God is is a just God and you know deals with sin. And we're also fools because God is forgiving. Right? <laughs> and merciful. And you're weak because you sow mercy and you serve a God that would be merciful. It's a weak God is not worthy of my service. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Then that takes us to work. I think we really have to consider these things and weigh the cost. Okay. What do you mean? A lot of times, and I kept thinking about this every time we talked about our existence being a digital projection of a larger reality. <sighs> It means all of our issues, and I'm going to hate saying this because I'm, I know I'm going to be up against these things <laughs> in my life. I'm already smiling. Yeah, I know you are. You're going to be some of the issues I have to overcome this week. <laughs> oh, don't look at it that way. Look at it as a good God smile upon you. But no, like it really should put in perspective the, the fleeting nature of this life and the things that we think are important in this life. You know, we're, the housing market is crazy right now, but it doesn't make a lot of sense unless you've got a lot of money. I mean, it's just it's crazy. So you have to, we're actually concerned about the, these things because where you put your feet, the place that you have to go is important. I'm not saying it's not, but compared to the whole of reality, the other six dimensions, the relationship with the creator and ultimate justice, I think that the cosmic, the eternal cosmic real estate should also be on our radar for where we're going to put our feet when that time comes as well. Facts. So, and it's, it's interesting. Something I think about is uh, Chuck Missler. He'd always make the, the quip or whatever that most people think that you can't even have your treasures in this world in the next one. And he's like, I think you're completely wrong. And the first time I heard it, I was like, okay, I've been on board with all the stuff that you've got to say time dilation and all this stuff that's beyond me, I'm on board. But you're, now you're telling me that I can go to heaven with my arms full? Like that? <laughs> ah, Chuck, what are you talking about? He's like, no, there's a trick to it. He's like, you got to send it up ahead of you. I was like, oh, that's clever. Clever? I was calling FedEx. Like, y'all got an overnight <laughs> service for some of the stuff I need to get into heaven? Like, I don't, I don't know. What you, can I get a three-day? <laughs> What's the address? 777 uh holy ghost parkway or something. that sounds about right <laughs> king's court that's funny but no the bible says that you know if you do unto the least of these it's like you did it to me so we get rewards like i was saying even just because we get into heaven doesn't mean we're not held accountable but we also get rewarded for the things that we do that are like and unto christ right so if we are providing for People, if we take the, the abundance that we have now and serve our fellow man, our neighbors, the, the less fortunate than us, then we'll get those on the other side. It's investing into the, the kingdom of heaven is what it is. I like that. That's something we can do. And if you're not up to all that, how about you just share the show? There's got to be some cosmic rewards. What do you think? Are, are we contracted with the the... the <laughs> eternal realm that we can work out. Like some you know, pe- I, I don't, some I don't people know. have Patreon, like, right, right. right. We're, you know, we're working on that. You know, but, is, is heaven actually like a, a, a supporter of the show, <laughs> you know, a sponsor. Yeah. I don't know if we got sponsorship rights, you know, contractual obligations set up yet. Uh, mm-hmm. But what I would say, 
definitely share the show because it helps out with the algorithm. All right. The more people that, that the show shows up as, and the more that the system can track it being shared, the higher up it goes in the algorithm. And when people do searches for certain things, we'll show up. Right. And, and that, that's a huge way to really help us support the show. Yes. Is, is getting that out there. And then there's also the information that's contained because some people just aren't really that comfortable having some of these uh, more intellectual, I'll put that in quotes because we ain't that smart. Uh, but, you know, having more of these these intellectualized conversations mm-hmm. with people. And sometimes it's it's easier to say, hey, take a listen to this. Tell me what you think about it. Right. And let other people do that talking for you. And I say, you know, get it, get it out there. If you got somebody that, you know, hey, this might be something you'll find interesting. It's just a quick share. Right. But all of that helps. It, it, it helps us with the algorithm. But it, more than way more than that. It helps get truth in the laps of, of people who may need it. And that's really what the fight is against. Right. All of this censoring that's happening is really about controlling the flow of information and making sure that the information that's shared fits the narrative. And that narrative is always non is more than likely at its root non-biblical. Right. And so we're about reversing that. Mm-hmm. That's where we need your help. For the people who have been sharing it, absolutely. Thank you. Yes, we're we're very grateful for the the participants, the listens, the the shares, the comments on social media, it it means a lot to us. So it does. It, it goes a long that. way. Continue to drop us a line if you need to. Mm-hmm. You know, we like that. And if if you like what we're talking about, <clears throat> we put um, a lot of the sources that we use to create the episode um, on our website, orppodcast.com. We'll definitely get back to you. We're yeah. hearing back from our listenership. Yeah, we enjoy it. Pretty easy. But here's the last thing that you can do. Remind yourself of what scripture tells us, which is that we are never alone and we're not fighting alone. God has promised to never leave us. And we have a community of believers all over the country and a loving God who really does intervene on our behalf. Because one day we won't have to wonder about heaven, what it's like, who gets to go there or what we're going to do. One day, We will have every tear wiped from our eyes by the loving hand of God Almighty. But until then, we are deployed to this dystopian rock where we will have to deal with the challenging issues of our day, pushing back against the official narrative by providing biblical answers to some very tough questions.